welcome everybody to our first episode of our mini series uh, called Lunchtime Chats with BTO. Um, and here we're going to be providing you with some very valuable and applicable content um, in regard to working with and interacting with youth. Um, and this is really just to help you understand how we at BTO create and develop deeper connections with our, our youth that we serve and the relationships that we have with them in our community. So we feel like we are experts in this field and we really hope that through this podcast, we are able to use this as a vehicle to share tools and resources and our experiences of working with this population. Um, so today specifically, we are going to be talking about um, cultivating a positive sense of self and self and youth. Um, but first, we wanted to introduce ourselves and our organization. So I will uh, turn it over to our lovely Kate to introduce us. So I am Caitlin McNulty. I'm the founder and executive director of Brookline Teen Outreach. Um, my background is in education. I have decades of experience working with youth in various capacities, um, which is really what led me to founding this organization. So in many spaces that I was in, um, traditional education in the classroom, outside of the classroom, I saw firsthand and consistently just this need for teens to have a space that provided emotional support. Mm -hmm. And not just kind of that baseline emotional support that you can get from a teacher, but a more structured support that really addressed some of the underlying issues that teens face and, and kind of those problems that are becoming worse as we enter different phases in our society. Um, so I, exactly. So I created BTO to meet those needs um, in every facet of the lives of our students that we serve. So physical, emotional, educational, social, um, and really at the core of that is the belief in creating opportunities for our students and providing them with opportunities to grow. Um, so that looks really <laughs> different for every single kid that we serve. Um, but Brookline Teen Outreach, as a nonprofit, we focus um, our efforts in Pittsburgh and we uh, focus on kids 10 to 18. Um, really exploring the potential, looking forward to a positive future, helping to build the community. Um, and our approach is very holistic, mm -hmm. um, very holistic, <laughs> mm -hmm. because we're really serving every single person as an individual. And it's not meant to be a one size fits all space for everybody, but for everybody to feel comfortable in. And so that takes a lot of effort and it's really based in a lot of educational theory and counseling theory. So in that holistic approach, we're providing counseling services, tutoring, community service opportunities, and then all the programming that you would expect in an after-school space, art, STEM, uh, physical activities, all that really fun, great stuff that helps to engage kids. Mm -hmm. um, so really BTO is about engaging everybody that comes into our space, fostering their development. Um, but really what sets us apart in that space is that we provide trauma-informed care to teens in a way that fosters safety, um, healthy relationships, empowers students to reach their potential. And when we say trauma-informed care, that's not that everybody is coming to us with like this deep-seated 
trauma, um, but everybody has had some type of trauma, whether that's, you know, failing a test and deeply internalizing what that means to them or very serious trauma. And so everybody kind of falls on the spectrum of that and everybody needs to be seen in those moments um, and to help have some guidance through that. Um, and I think the second thing that's really important in our space and kind of sets us apart is that um, we, through our sister organization, mm -hmm. Compass Compassionate Counseling, which is a um, for-profit private practice housed within our BTO building. Um, they provide licensed professional counseling services, um, not just to the teens in the space, but to the community at large. And it's very mission focused. So not only taking insurances um, or offering sliding scale payments, but offering free services as well to really break down those barriers of service, which we see consistently. Um, and that has been a goal for our organizations even before COVID is really getting services, mental health services into the hands of people that need it most. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the COVID times, right? Mm -hmm. Insurance companies got on board with that. <laughs> um, but it's kind of waning a little bit yeah. now too. So really kind of just maintaining that, um, that focus of really trying to serve the community um, and really uh you know accessible type of of service exactly. that we need to provide to people that that's what they really need right now absolutely exactly um and and the other thing that really sets us apart is that our services are completely free so no student that comes to our space um, is required to pay anything. So it's a drop-in program. They can come, they can register the first time they're there. We collect, you know, just emergency contact information, some demographics, but then everything is free. So they're not paying um, even a one-time yearly <laughs> admission or um, membership. It's really completely free because we want to be available to the community um, to stop in, like you're having a problem, I'm gonna pop in. I don't have food, I'm coming to grab a snack or dinner. Um, you know, I know that they have jackets there or an umbrella that I can borrow and we become this touch point in the community. Um, and that, this is a very rare model, you know, uh, nationally, uh, we're one of like 8% <laughs> of programs that offer kind of this drop-in free program. Um, and even fewer are have this mental health component mm -hmm. um, attached to that. So it's kind of BTO in a in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. BTO is a very very special place, um, and something that I know that I have never come across. So um, introducing myself, um, I'm my name is Kiera. Um, I have a background in psychology, and I have a master's degree in professional counseling. Um, and so my role here at BTO, um, I have a number of roles. <laughs> um, so within BTO and compassionate counseling. So um, I do um, hold the role as a counselor and our intake specialist at compassionate counseling. And so really what that looks like for me is I am serving our community in multiple ways and really making sure that people are getting the care that they need with us in terms of, you know, whether that is through our free counseling program with our master's level interns 
or if that means, you know, setting them up with their counselor, putting them on the sliding scale, figuring out what that financial piece looks like for them. Um, but at BTO, I also serve as our community liaison. Um, and so as our community liaison, I feel like I do a number of different things. Um, but that is, you know, what the magic is of BTO is really building up your skills and um, really challenging yourself to work in different ways. Um, and so as the community liaison, I do work with um, other after school programs to help them build up their tools and resources um, in order to um, help them improve or build upon their own after school programs based on our model here at BTO because our model at BTO is so special and it works. Um, and it works in a way that not a lot of places work. Um, and so before I took on this role, I was an intern at BTO and Compassionate Counseling. So I was part of that master's level intern program, which again is so unique and special. Um, but this is really where I really learned the importance of teamwork and leadership and skill building. Um, and so in that experience, that's what really led me to find so much passion in the mission that we have here at BTO and our holistic model uh, for after school programs because I've literally never seen anything like it before. Um, and so I am so happy to be part of our team and to be here with you, Kate, talking about all of this stuff um, in regard to our after school program because it is so different and we provide something that not a lot of places provide. Um, and so today, what, what really this series is about is giving you the tools and giving you a sense of what our space looks like and what we're really doing to create this special place, right? And so today we're really going to be talking about uh, cultivating and fostering a positive sense of self, of self in youth. Um, because that is such an important part of our programming. Um, we want our kids to come in feeling confident. We want them coming in feeling comfortable and feeling like they can be themselves. Um, and so this, can, this information can be tailored to your own experience, whatever that looks like in um, other after-school programs or whether that's at home if you're a parent or you know whatever that means for you. But um, this information can be tailored and you can use this in whatever way you feel is necessary. So I'm just gonna outline what we're gonna be talking about today. Uh, we'll be covering um, what it means to have a positive sense of self, um, a positive youth development theory, um, Cooper Smith's four parts to cultivating a positive self image in youth, um, the importance of failure, and um, at the end of every one of our episodes here, we will be talking about what this information looks like at BTO and how you can use this in your own in your own life, whatever that capacity might look like. Um, and so that's really what we're going to be covering today. Um, so jumping right in, um, what does it mean to have a positive sense of self? Um, it can look like you know really how you evaluate or how you think about or how you perceive yourself. Um, and I think that this has a lot of different ways that this can permeate throughout, you know, your self image. And, you know, it could be about how you look. It could be about who you are in your different relationships, what kind of characteristics you have. What are your patterns or behaviors? 
how do you associate yourself um, and what you think is like the most important things about yourself are, you know? Um, and I think also I think, part of it- I think you hit the nail on the head here. It really colored yeah. everything, right? So how we perceive ourselves kind of dictates how we function in the world and what yeah. our relationships look like and how we internalize the information that we receive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think too, part of that is really just what, how do we, how do we move in the world, right? What are our strengths? How do we recognize our value system? Where did we learn that? What are our capabilities? Are we challenging ourselves? Are we able to achieve our goals? You know, that kind of internalizing process of who we think that we are and, you know, whether that's positive or negative, you know? Um, well, I think that's the other component, right? Is that it's not just all the positives, right? It's also recognizing the spaces that we're not mm. particularly great in or where we still have room to grow and kind of having a toolkit of how to handle that. So I cannot measure to save my life. Um, like if I use a ruler, I will get it wrong every single time. I can look at something and be like, that is one and a half inches yeah. and guess and be pretty great. Um, cannot measure truly. Um, it's a running joke in my house, but, um, yeah. you know, I've tried to get better at it in, uh -huh. you know, all the, all the years that I am, I've not, but, um, I've cultivated <laughs> that by, you know, trying and yeah. knowing I'm not great at it, finding people to help me be mm -hmm. better. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, so I think it's not just about what we're innately good at or what we've put effort mm -hmm. into being good at, but also where we struggle and then knowing how mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, put, not put a bandaid on it even, but like recognize that and move through it or move forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a really good example of, you know, what that can look like and things that we'll be talking about today too, in terms of like, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what to do. I need support, right? And mm -hmm. being able yes. to like recognize name and then follow through with that. And that really, really does help to cultivate a positive sense of self to be able to reach out and recognize that I'm not good at everything and I can't be everything and asking somebody else to give you a hand. Well, and I think that's the vulnerability of mm -hmm. if you have a positive sense of self, you're willing to be vulnerable mm -hmm. enough to ask for help and asking mm -hmm. for help is how you learn and develop and grow. Yeah. And that just makes you improved, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that this really ties into like the next, you know, snippet of information that we'll be talking about uh, positive youth development theory. Um, for short, we'll be calling it PYD because that is a lot of words to say at one time. Um, but I found a really good definition and then I'm just gonna relate it back to how we use that at BTO and like really like how that translates here for us um, in this conversation because PYD is a very intentional approach to engage youth within you know, whatever that looks like, their communities, their schools, their organizations, their, their friends, their family, in a way that can really be productive for them and constructive. Um, it's also a way for them to recognize and enhance their own strengths, which again is what we were just talking about in terms of like creating that positive sense of self. Um, 
And then it also really just talks about like promoting positive outcomes for, for youth, right? And providing them the, the appropriate opportunities for them to move forward and challenge themselves while also fostering positive relationships and giving them that support through those positive relationships. Um, so I think PYD, we do it so naturally at PTO <laughs> that I don't even think we realized that there was actually a theory that kind of encompasses the work that we do, but really that's what that looks like, right? In our space. Exactly. And, yeah, and, and it really- it was like, one of the things where we kind of just integrated this. This is like, just again, like you said, a very natural thing. And it was after the fact that we realized this was a theory that we had been practicing for years. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I, I coming across this in my research, I was like, huh, this is, this sounds really familiar to me. Um, <laughs> this is uh, very interesting. Um, so I think that it was, um, it's very, it, this is a really good way to explain in academic terms, in yes. terms of like what it is that we do in the space that we have at BTO. Um, but I think PYD really just gives us a good perspective on how we can put students first and how we can give them the focus in terms of their growth um, rather than you know, giving them information and asking them to regurgitate that back to us, right? This is more of a holistic kind of view. Yes. Yeah. And I think um, it's important to note too, that while this like the theory itself is more focused on um, academic spaces or social group spaces, mm -hmm. that um, this is the core foundation of my parenting of my own <laughs> children yeah. um, is really that kind of um, recognizing where they are developmentally mm -hmm. and giving them appropriate challenges that they can feel like they've accomplished a goal and feel good about themselves but not so that they're never challenging themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we're a big outdoors family. We hike all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and they've been hiking since they were very, very small. Of mm -hmm. course, we're not gonna go on like a 15 mile hike when they're like one or two years old. Yeah. But I think kind of in the grand scheme of what this looks like in a, in a parent's application, mm -hmm. um, this might be a good example for parents out there. So like we, um, recently went to Acadia National Park and did some very challenging trails with iron rungs, um, you know, had a couple moments of anxiety, like this is how my children die and I'm responsible for that. Mm -hmm. But um, we've given them these little building blocks over time of like, you know, just, yes, this hike is hard. Yes, you're tired. Just push yourself a little bit further. Like you have everything that you need to be capable of it. So not diminishing the fact that this is a challenge, right? And not telling them like, suck it up or like, you're like, get over it. Mm -hmm. But like, yes, this is hard. And I'm also pushing myself mentally and physically to finish this. Yeah. And you can do that too. And I'm here to walk with you and kind of help you move through that. Like, let's tell jokes, let's yeah. sing a song. Let's just talk about something that we're looking forward to, to kind of distract ourselves, right? So those are kind of those tools that we're talk we'll be talking about a little bit more in that application, mm -hmm. but then, you're giving them those stepping stones to build. And I will say this, that like that building that kind of resiliency in a really safe structured way. So we'll go back to hiking for now, helps them to 
apply that in other spaces. So I will say like my kids are really great at having a challenge and recognizing that it's awful and they don't like it and they might be feeling really upset or sad or um, just not like what's happening, but also that um, ability to push through that and say like, okay, I'm capable of deciding how I'm going to feel about this or how I'm going to react to it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, gauge what that is. So whether that's, you know, you've worked really hard and you don't get the grade you want, or, mm-hmm. you know, you try out for something and you don't get it. And dealing with that failure is another big part of mm-hmm. this. And like, if you have that strong sense of self, those moments of failure don't necessarily feel like a failure. They're just a stepping stone of you've learned something now. So what would you do differently the next time? Or how would you approach it differently? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think too, that touches on like a really important piece of um, PYD. And that's really like having internalized and intentional self-regulation or emotional regulation right? That is such a huge piece because like you said, if they're able to work, if your kids are able to work through some of those really big emotions that are hard for them in the moment and still, you know, reaching that goal or overcoming the challenge or overcoming the obstacle that they faced, that helps to build their confidence. It helps them to see that they're able to work through those really hard things and work through those hard emotions and still be successful, even though in the moment it might feel like failure or it might feel really crappy, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Self-regulation is one of the hardest things. I mean, even as adults, right? We have yeah. moments where we do not succeed at having mm-hmm. self-regulation. We lose our temper, we yell, we, whatever that looks like, get overly frustrated about something that doesn't matter. I mean, road rage is real, right? So like all <laughs> yeah. of those things. But I think as we help to foster this in the youth that we work with, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's in a professional setting or a personal one, we also get better at self-regulation piece Mm -hmm. and then model that back to our kids. Absolutely. Because if that's the expectation for our youth, then that should absolutely be the expectation for ourselves, right? If we are giving youth the modeling or the, the tools to say like, I'm feeling a lot right now and I need to take a step back. We sure as hell should be doing the same thing. So um, yes, recognizing that within ourselves and being able to take a step back and saying like, I'm feeling a lot and I need to take a breath, take a minute, and then I can resume having this conversation or I can go back into whatever that behavior management might have looked like in the moment with the youth or, you know, that modeling piece and showing showing them that I need to take a step back as an adult allows them to give themselves the permission to do that too. I was just thinking the same thing. It's all about that, um, that vulnerability, right? I think as adults, especially in leadership roles, Mm -hmm. um, or even parenting roles, you kind of put the pressure on yourself to always have all the answers or do everything right. Mm -hmm. And that's unrealistic for anybody, especially our kids, right? In these developmental settings, like it's not always, they're not always going to make the right choice. We don't always make the right choice. It's what you do 
after. So I think that that's really the most important part of if you're trying to implement this theory in, in your home or in your space, um, recognizing that you're not always gonna get it right. And part of this model is I, you know, going up to a kid and saying, I think I could have handled that better. Yeah. Or I recognize that when I yelled at you about this thing, like this is why I yelled and maybe that wasn't the right choice. Or I think I hurt my, oh, I think I hurt your feelings more than I intended to. And just having that humanity there, right? So, um, because that helps inform their value. So if we're willing to say, I maybe screwed up a little bit and I'm sorry for that. And here's what I will do in the future. Or, you know, that really wasn't about you at all. It was about me. And I shouldn't have put that on you. Mm-hmm. That revalidates their importance. So when we can say, I screwed up, they're like, oh, I'm not this small, insignificant piece of garbage, or I do have value and I can separate somebody else's reaction mm-hmm. from who I am in my core. And yeah. I think that that's critical. Yeah. Yeah. And those apologies really, really go a long way in terms of that modeling behavior and modeling self-regulation, because if we as adults, you know, expect our youth to apologize for their behaviors, that might not have been appropriate or might not have been the best um, or disrespectful, you know, whatever that looked like, we should be able to do that as adults too and apologize to them for the, the behaviors that we have that are inappropriate or that might have stepped over the line a little bit. And I think that that really goes a long way in terms of teaching them and helping them learn that this is what it looks like. And I don't have to be perfect all the time because my role model is taking responsibility for the things that they do. Um, so I should be able to do the same thing. Um, and I, I will add, cause I think that there's potential to get some pushback on mm-hmm. kind of that apology piece, yeah. right? So you can be an adult in the space and set boundaries and set rules. hundred percent, you should be doing that. And if you're not, oh. that's equally, um, problematic, right? Um, so this is not apologizing for setting a rule or setting a boundary or even, you know, having expecting accountability for an action. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. It's more like when you do that in a way, that's not appropriate, yelling, screaming, belittling, name calling, whatever that might look like, which Mm -hmm. is definitely an emotional reaction. Um, that's what the apology is for. So yes, maintain those boundaries, set those boundaries, because that's also how they help inform themselves and hold themselves accountable. And that's what we, in in the BTO space, at least we have a a warning system where like, it's, Hey, I'm telling you to follow this rule. You're not listening. That's going to escalate the next time to like redirection finding something else. And then eventually like okay, you're, you can't handle yourself in the space. You're not acting appropriately. So it's time to go home for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do that very respectfully of like, here's why and what's going to happen next and what we expect to see change. And if they can't make that change, um, then there's a consequence, but it's really kind of giving them those baby steps. Um, so just to kind of clarify that piece, cause I yeah. do know, um, that that could get lost in translation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I appreciate the clarification because I think that that's an important piece sure. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but talk still talking about you know having that you know positive sense of self right we talked about you know the the core pieces of pyd and how we are really implementing that in our space and how it so naturally kind of like encompasses what we do. I think another piece that's really important to talk about is really cultivating, you know, self-efficacy and helping them to be able to, again, recognize their strengths, but also feel confident in those strengths. And and also to be able to, I think, identify their weaknesses too, right? Because then that's when they know that they need to ask for help. Um, but that self-efficacy is so important to develop identity. We work with, with teens 10 to 18. Um, teens start identify or, you know, teens start developing their identity around the age of 13, 14. And I mean, they, they're trying to work on that a little bit beforehand, but developmentally, it's very difficult to have those like very large abstract thoughts of who am I? What's the point? Right. Yes. Some more existential piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think when we're working with kids that are in such a, a wide range of development and thinking yeah. about, you know, how early can we start talking about the self-efficacy? How can we start building up their confidence so that when they're, when they start to be able to abstractly think about um, their identity, where are those strengths coming from? Where is that confidence? Where's the personal agency that they have that's attached to that? Um, and just really feeling like they have a sense of purpose, um, I think is so important there too. Absolutely. I think um, one way that that really translates in the BTO space in particular is we kind of call them small moments. Mm. Um, so seeing a kid doing something that probably would get overlooked otherwise. So whether that's, you know, holding accountability for somebody else, I'm like, don't do that, man. Like just, you know, kind of helping somebody else to self-regulate um, or, you know, maybe they're really spent a lot of time working on something, which is so easy to overlook, um, but saying like, wow, you have really put so much focus and attention in doing this and I'm impressed and un unsolicited, right? So just kind of taking that time to recognize that. And that might not, it might've been really hard. It might not be something that they saw as a strength. Um, but just to kind of point it out because it's those little things that we do every single day that we don't recognize as strengths that then eventually become our strengths. And I think mm -hmm. that can translate into bigger things too. Like if somebody, if a kid is sharing something with us that they're really excited about, not diminishing that in any way, like sharing in that excitement and joy and really focusing on that moment of what they're trying to share with us. Yeah. Or, um, you know, it comes across in so many different ways, even just the willingness to try. Um, in our space, we were doing a needle craft a couple of weeks ago and it, the boys wanted to try it and they wanted the help of our male interns who also did not know how to do it. Uh, but nobody was like, oh, I, I don't know how to do this. And there wasn't any of that sense of like, this is a gender rolled activity. It was like, well, I want to try this and I, but I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but it became a really beautiful teaching moment across the board. Mm -hmm. And it's the kid, both the kids have mentioned and our interns have mentioned this particular moment mm -hmm. because it was uncomfortable. Nobody knew what they were doing. 
and they work through it together of, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's figure it out. What are the resources available to us? Let's just try it. Let's use the internet. Let's go ask somebody else who might know what they're doing Mm -hmm. and kind of showing them that way of doing that. And then kind of, you know, that helps to build up that confidence in them of just working through those problems. Yeah. And again, it's that modeling of behavior too, asking for help and reaching out and furthering other beautiful connections, whether that's like through the team that we have or, you know, with our kids. So, and and I think too, that that just really shows to me, the thing that kept coming up is like the word investment or like investing, like we're really, really investing in our kids and in our youth and with each other when we match them, we match their energy about the things that they're excited about. And we give them the, the, the attention and the confidence that they're really looking to build because confidence is hard to build on your own. And as an adult too, right? It's not even just as a kid. As an adult, it's hard to build that confidence on your own. And so looking to others and really looking for that care and understanding and somebody else's like investment in you and your goals. That's such a powerful thing to, to see and to witness and to build. Um, and, and you're right, you know, if we start earlier and if we start with those smaller moments, those things build upon each other. And that Absolutely. can really help to cultivate what we're talking about here today. And I think a big part of that too, and you kind of touched on it, is that human beings are social creatures and we need that mirror back Mm -hmm. to us of, you know, what's even to build like our social adeptness, it's, you know, what I'm going to do this thing and people don't like it. Okay. So I'm going to retreat. I'm going to do this thing and it's very accepted. But I think as a society, we've kind of skewed that a little bit. And so much of our kids interaction is not face-to-face. Um, it's through social media, it's through technology. And so they're missing a little bit of that mirroring, which is critical, especially in the 10 to 13 range of development, um, from a, you know, a brain perspective and a psychological perspective, like that, um, that Mm one-on-one human interaction mirroring Mm -hmm. really goes back to that self-efficacy and learning who they are and ultimately want to build themselves to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just those mirror neurons, right? We have those in our brain for a reason, right? (laughs) Evolutionarily, we we have those. So, you know, we're really always just looking to others to understand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I, again, I I feel like this is just such a natural conversation because we keep leading it to like, the next little the next thing information yes. <laughs> that we want to talk about so gradually so um so I, just perfect but um so just in talking about that you know thinking about how we can really focus on developing that positive self-image and um research that I read up from uh Cooper Smith really uh lays out like these four big main components that we can talk about as adults and how to 
give, give that to them in the spaces that they need it, whether that's classrooms, at home, in after school programs, and other community organizations, different things like that. So, so he lays out these, these four things. Um, and the first one is the respect and acceptance from their caregivers or from, you know, teachers, from their after school providers, um, whatever that looks like. And I think that's what we were just talking about in terms of like, these kids are not just behaviors, right? They are people. <laughs> yes. And they, they have a hard time regulating their emotions. They're just learning how to do those things. They're just learning how to build some of these skills, even if they seem like really small to us as adults, they're not to them. They're big things that they're trying, right? And so mm -hmm. as adults in the space, it's so important for us to allow them to understand what it is that we're asking for them to do and also what it is that's acceptable and to give them that extra piece of information so that they're not left in the dark. They don't, they don't yeah. know <laughs> if they're just yeah. developing these things, if they're just starting to learn these things, they don't know what's acceptable and what's not. And so they need guidance and they, but in addition to that guidance, they need to be respected and accepted for who they are in those moments. It's funny because there's, it kind of just brought to mind this saying in education and after school that kind of gets drilled into people's heads of like, don't ask kids why they did something. Mm -hmm. And I have to agree, right? Like we don't yeah. want to ask them like, why'd you do that? Right. But there's yeah. a way to get to the why. And mm -hmm. in our practice, in what we do in the BTO spaces, it's offering, we get to the why of why that behavior happened by offering the why of the consequence. Mm -hmm. So I'm going, I'm setting this boundary, but I'm telling you why I'm doing it. And I'm telling you what my expectation is. And I'm telling you why this is happening and giving you all of this other context so that you can make an informed decision and know that this has nothing to do with you as a person, mm -hmm. but the behavior that you're exhibiting. And just kind of that reassurance. And I think we kind of talked about this a little bit in the beginning of that in, in these positions of power, right? Or like you're the adult, yeah. it's easy to forget what mm -hmm. respect looks yeah. like. Mm -hmm. And I overhear a lot of interactions just in my day-to-day -day life that I just quietly observe from afar, but that really kind of hurt right like you're hearing the way an adult is speaking to a child mm -hmm. and you would if somebody spoke to them that way I can't imagine what would happen right, right? and so it's it's that mutual respect like mm -hmm. when we want kids to be respectful then we have to show them what respect looks like if you're always talking down to them or just bullying them into doing something because you said so without telling them how mm -hmm. or why mm -hmm then that's not respect, right? Yeah. And so I think that that's kind of at the forefront of this tenant here, you know, respect and acceptance from parents, caregivers, teachers, is that the respect comes first, you're showing them what respect looks like, but then acceptance of mm -hmm. I'm setting a boundary and it has nothing to do with who you are a valuable person. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person, but this behavior is not acceptable. Yeah. Right. So 
Um, we're accepting the person, but not yeah. the way they're exhibiting whatever it is. And usually it's a feeling of, you know, something that's amiss or wrong, or they're worried about, or it has happened to them. Yeah. But I think that that's an important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, that is a really good way of putting it because you're, you're right. You know, everybody who walks through our doors is accepted for who they are. And we don't see our kids as behaviors, right? They even are, who they are is challenging, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. um, but you know, we're able to look past that and still see that humanity piece, and still see the yes. respect piece, and be able to set boundaries in ways that are appropriate for them too. Um, but that that's so important for them to see that modeling and to feel that validation of, oh, well, you're being really respectful towards me. And so I, I don't really know how to navigate this interaction because I'm so used to being disrespectful to adults because they're disrespectful to me. And so like we that, see that constantly. <laughs> yeah, we see it all the time. <laughs> I think that that's really important to point out, right, is that we're met with a lot of hostility even when we are giving that respect because they don't know how to handle it. And it's, it's kind of interesting to watch the phases. I'm thinking about in particular, something that just happened last mm -hmm. week. Um, and it's pushback or like something that's maybe less inappropriate, but still like on that line of disrespectful mm -hmm. and then maybe testing what it feels like to just I don't know, be nice to one another and like hang out and have a real conversation. And then it pulls back. And so it's, it's testing, like what is the resilience of that, that level of respect, right? And it yeah. takes time to build that. It's not going to just be like, I'm showing respect to these children and they're going to respect me back. Like, no, <laughs> that's not anyone who's ever worked with a child has a child knows that that is not how it works. It is the long game here. It's like a marathon of yeah. building that trust. But once you build that trust with consistent respect, they know that's a time when you lose your temper or, you know, maybe you're like, no, this is the rule and you've got to listen to me now. It's probably not about them yeah. as much as it is about you. And I think that we, I mean, it's, un it's unconditional positive regard and we can probably talk about that in another episode, but that yeah. is really the theory behind that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. You're right, Kate, we will be talking about some of those uh, um, counseling theories that, you know, even if some of our staff aren't counseling students, right, because a majority of our staff are, but some of them aren't. And so, Correct. you know, talking about what that looks like in our space and how we implement those counseling skills and those counseling theories um, and how that translates into other spaces outside of the counseling world. Yes. Yes. Um, but, um, or outside of a session, I guess. Um, but yeah, so, so I guess in, you know, thinking about that piece of respect and acceptance, I think the next piece from Cooper yeah. Smith really talks about, um, you know, them being able, youth being able to acknowledge their own history of success. And so I think what comes with that is also understanding the times in which they failed, um, which is something we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, but I think that this really like understanding their own successes and really being able to pinpoint 
where they've been successful, whether that's in relationships or skill building or, you know, academics, whatever that looks like for them, that really just helps them to feel more confident and feel like they have capabilities and the things that they do and to really like base their self-esteem and their, their self-worth off of, right, is on those skills. Um, and so when we as the adults know that they have been successful in those specific areas or maybe not so successful in those areas, we're able to use that information to cultivate those positive relationships with them, to help model and to really remind them like, I see you and I remember when you were successful in this moment. And it really just gives them the evidence outside of their you know, perception and outside of their mind um, but that evidence that's based in reality that they have been successful in the past and we remind them of that. And it's also feeling that validation and feeling seen by somebody else telling them that like, oh, I remember when this happened. And I think that that piece goes a really, really, really long way with kids because everybody needs a reminder sometimes that they're good at something. Oh yeah, everybody absolutely. To be seen. And I think that that really builds confidence to be successful moving forward. So I, I think one of the things that consistently happens in our space is that our, our students, whether they come consistently or don't, or, you know, used to come consistently and haven't been back to the space in a long time, or have moved out of the program and come back consistently, it's this space makes me feel good. And I think that that's what this is touching on is that we remind them of what success looks like we give them that freedom to be and you know we look for and we kind of talked about a little bit before we look for those little tiny moments and we seek out the space to show them where they're being successful even if it's not intentional on their part of like actively doing something good but it is a positive quality focus or you know intention or trying or being willing to fail or you know just maybe, you know, making a different choice. We see this a lot, right? Of, you know, they catch themselves in this moment where we're not having to correct them. It's, you know, they're about to have something come out of their mouth that shouldn't. And they're like, oh, nope. All right. And they, they do it on their own, or, you know, they might get really, really mad and like, want to go at somebody. And they're like, nope, making a different choice. And so, but we go the extra step of not just witnessing that, but I'm so proud of you for making, I know that was hard, but I'm so proud of you for making that choice. And we intentionally look for those moments to do that. And I think it's hard, right? We don't see them all day long. Um, And I think this is a problem for teachers and parents. Like nobody sees kids at every point in their day. And so I think Mm -hmm. it's really important to kind of, um, show them the reality of what they're living in yeah. um, outside of their own perspective um, and have that be positive so that when they, you know, maybe are in a different situation and the expectation is not the same as it would be in our space or, you know, a, a certain level of respect is not demanded, um, they still might make that positive choice because they have a history of success making positive choices in a space. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like, it's so powerful to put 
language to something yes and hear that um and I think for our kids um you know that piece is so important because you know we're not always pointing out the behaviors that they're engaging in that might be perceived as negative or that are inappropriate for the space you know we're we're working around that and we're finding the positive in that and pointing that out if it's appropriate right if that's the right. if that's the choice that they're making in the moment but putting language to that and saying I'm so proud of you for doing the thing that you just did because I know that that's hard for you and you had to rethink about that you know in the moment and you did a really great job um and just you know pointing out those successes that they're having um, because they're small and they're not always these big successes where you know they're failing in this one class and you know they're doing awful and then they finally get help or they get tutoring and then they work really hard and then they get that passing grade right it's not those successes aren't always as big so pointing out those smaller ones really helps to build confidence and build self-efficacy and um you know, help them to make better choices. <laughs> um, well, I think too, it doesn't always come down to behaviors, right? So right. I think as um, we are talking a lot about developmentally, mm -hmm. how this looks. And so as teens get older, it's a lot about bravery and self-expression. Yeah. So thinking about those successful moments where they are really themselves, they wear that shirt that they love, but yeah. maybe not, they're not sure that other people will like or that they'll get complimented on but they love it and they want to wear it yeah. um so like just recognizing wow you seem so confident today is that the shirt you were telling me about like that kind of thing is another success of kind of building that that self-efficacy of true personhood where they become really who they most are or how they yeah. want to represent themselves mm -hmm. to the world and i think that that can come to you know is the gender that can come down to like sexual orientation that can just come down to as simple as like fashion right yeah. but I think or like the books that you like or the shows that you watch I think it's just that um that bravery to maybe be a little bit weird or a little outside the box um yeah. in the effort to be your true authentic self yeah and, and I think that again that ties right into our into the third component that Cooper Smith talks about in terms of you know, having the, that value system or having aspirations or goals or, you know, just a different characteristic or different attributes, whatever that looks like, that is also important in helping to develop a positive self-image for youth. And again, this kind of ties back into the last point you were talking about and pointing that out and putting language to it and helping them feel successful in mm -hmm. the choices that they're making or you know the opinions that they have or the the knowledge that they're building the skills that the that they're building you know what what their personality how their personality is coming out i think that that is um really important there too um and connects right back into that you know how they feel successful and how they feel good about themselves um and then I think that that last piece is um, the fourth component that he really talks about is um, learning how to deal with constructive criticism um, mm -hmm. and knowing and feeling like it's possible 
to overcome failure or to overcome obstacles. And so this again ties into, I think the importance of failure, because like we were talking about earlier, that really gives them the opportunity to test their strengths, test their knowledge, test their values, you know, put those things on the chopping block almost, right. Of just figuring out if this works or not. And absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that that, um, you know, learning how to deal with that constructive criticism starts with adults too, right? Because it comes from a, a respectful and an accepting way. So bringing it right back to our first one that we talked about. Um, well, I think too, the importance of failure is, I personally really struggled with this as a, a young person of like never wanting to fail. And I think it was because I, that's kind of the household that I grew up in. It's like the expectation was like, you succeed. Like there is no alternative to that. Like you succeed. And a lot of that was my own pressure that I put on myself of like, I want a different reality than I'm living in. And to do that, I need to be successful in like, you know, achieve, <laughs> achieve, achieve, um, high paying job, all this stuff that like our society is kind of created as that and to a detriment of my own ability to fail so you know not being like okay well I'm not good at this so I'm going to take the time to learn how to do that or ask for help or um you know it's very nuanced right it looks different in every situation but I think that failing is important because you always learn something from not knocking it out of the park the first time. And if you're only focusing on the things that you're naturally good at, Mm -hmm. you've kind of shut the door on all these other possibilities and exposure to different people and situations Mm -hmm. and, you know, opportunity really. Um, And so within our space, I think failure happens a lot, but it's, comfortable failure. And this is at all levels of our organization, not just with the students, but um, our interns and even staff, like we really try to hold each other accountable of like, I, I don't have this skill set. And I think that in the professional world, like it's frowned upon a lot of the time to say, I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think that that kind of works back to failure of like, if you can get comfortable with failure, you recognize your strengths and your weaknesses. And in those weaknesses, you say, but I'm recognizing that my weakness is this other person's strength. And so I'm going to use that human connection to say to them, you're great at this. Can you help me? Or can you teach me this one piece of something? Mm -hmm. And then you just get a little bit better and a little bit better. And it's not like the opportunity is completely off of the table for you. You kind of stretch just a little bit of time. It doesn't have, you don't have to master something, right? Like you don't have to be the best at everything, but just the willingness to try and maybe not be great at it is okay. Um, But it's in the trying that we get more comfortable um, being uncomfortable. And that's so much, we talk about that all the time at BTO. It's like, it's okay to be uncomfortable, um, you know, in an uncomfortable situation, but it's like kind of how you navigate that. It's just Mm -hmm. allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to, okay, didn't, nope, wasn't great. I 
failed at that thing, but now what, what did I learn from it? And we really focus on that with our kids of like, what did we learn from that? Um, you know, we have kids that like try out for something and don't get it. It's like, okay, but you tried. And that's like really impressive that you put yourself out there and tried. And what feedback did you get? What did you, what did you, what do you know now that you didn't know before? Mm -hmm. Go try again. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's those building blocks. And as we keep going, we just, I don't know, it's pretty, it's transformational. I'm just kind of thinking about some of our kids specifically over time. Yeah. you know, some of these strides are really big and some of them are really, really small over time because everyone's path is different, but you can see it. So every time you try, you grow. Yeah. And I think that's the takeaway of this failure piece is, yeah. is that it's really not failure, it's growth. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and I think in our space too, we do a really good job of reframing failure as a growth yeah. opportunity. Um, so that, you know, because those negative feelings that come with failure are important and we should validate them, right? And they're like real. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We can't just like push them off and be like, well, don't even worry about it because you learned something and it's fine, right? You know, there's a process that comes with failure. And I think yes. that what you're saying is, you know, and what we really do at BTO is work with them through those emotions help them to manage and self-regulate, help yes. them to identify and give language to what they're feeling and then be able to kind of talk about it in a more positive way. Like, oh, well, you know, how are you doing today versus how are you doing last week? And yes. how, how have you been reflecting on these things? And you know, what do you want to do to move forward? Do you want to try again? How can I help you try again? You know, all of those different pieces that come along with it, but slowly kind of reframing it as, okay, but you got something out of it, right? Like it wasn't all negative. Let's think about it in that way. And again, creating those connections or trying to find opportunities for them to do something different or try again, but also be realistic and the expectations in terms of what it is that they can and can't do and, you know, what that looks like. And, and I think that that's a really important piece that we also implement too, when we're talking about failure. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, in part, so much of my job is kind of explaining what we do at BTO and, um, that's the nuance I think that gets lost. It's like, you know, oh, it's all sunshine and rainbows. No, it is not. It is not all, if we are human beings, nothing is all sunshine and rainbows. It's being very much grounded in the reality of the situation, but also allowing for like a very wide range of emotions, outcomes, thoughts. (laughs) Um, And it's just kind of holding that space to say like, this is, this is what's in front of me right now. And this is where I want to be. And how do I get there? Um, And it's not always easy and it's not always pleasant and not everybody wants to do it and that's okay and we allow for that too like I'm not ready to have that conversation with you Miss Kate okay we don't have to have that conversation right now Mm -hmm. I'm here when you're ready yeah Um, it's that openness and that willingness to really be present in the moment and have a very realistic perception of what's happening yeah absolutely so 
So we covered all of the educational pieces that we wanted to talk about today. And I think we kind of intermingled, you know, what each of these pieces looks like at BTO and how tangibly we are using this information. And, you know, the, this theory that we talked about in self-regulation and all of those pieces we really talked about and touched on today. And so the next piece that I really wanna spend some time, you know, just a couple minutes talking about is, Sure. We just gave you a lot of information. So now what do you do with it? And how do you yeah. use this with your teens? And we gave you a lot of examples of what this can look like in the BTO setting and how we use this. And we hope that you can use some of that information as a guide to move forward. Um, you know, you can also reach out to us for more resources, <laughs> which is something we'll talk about later. But, you know, some of the pieces that we can talk about today in terms of how you can tangibly use this information um, is really like the first piece is as the adult in the space that you're in and the space that you're navigating, whether that's a parent, a teacher, you know, a caregiver, whatever that looks like, um, is really practicing your own emotional regulation. And especially if this is a piece that you know that you struggle with, you struggle with and you identified that that's something that you can struggle with. There are a number of ways that you can do this. And again, these are resources that we'll, we will be providing, talking about later. Um, but really working on that emotional regulation piece, whether that means that you're doing your own research in terms of how that can look like for you, um, you know, going to counseling, that's something that we obviously like really encouraged with a lot of our teens and within our community. Um, but this is such an important piece for you to talk about with your teen um, or with mm -hmm. your teens in whatever setting that looks like, because this is so important to their development. And if you're talking about it as something that you're struggling with as an adult, they're also struggling with it too. And so talking about that is so important. <laughs> Well, and I think a really low lift way to implement this piece is like a, a five second check-in. Yeah. So if I notice, I do, so this is something I took from my professional setting into my personal life. And I can say it honestly has helped me so much of mm -hmm. uh, just taking that. Okay. How am I feeling? Like I'm starting to yeah. be uncomfortable, mm -hmm. get frustrated. Maybe I'm clenching my hands. Maybe I'm like tensing up, whatever that looks like. Right taking five seconds. Okay. I'm feeling this mm -hmm. because whatever. And yeah. then, I mean, kids are not idiots. <laughs> They're very perceptive and naming that. So saying, you know what, I just checking in with myself. I'm really frustrated right now because I had a really rough day at work. I found out some really upsetting news. Yeah. I insert what is causing that mm -hmm. you are acting out in a way that I don't know how to handle right yeah. on that honestly and then saying so you're naming that mm -hmm. and then moving past it so it's like I'm feeling frustrated this is why and then trying to get back to the present so looking at whatever is in front of you and matching where you should be in that present moment rather than carrying all this other stuff with you. And that's not to say like, you should just let everything go and not have feelings about things. It's just not realistic. But that five second check in can change how you 
respond to your kid when they continuously ask you for a thousand things, mm-hmm. uh, one after another, or, you know, drop something on the floor, which isn't that big a deal, but maybe if you're really super frustrated, you're going to yell at them about. Yeah. So it's just, it's more that self-regulation for yourself, naming it, and then how that translates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think that that piece is so important, especially when we're talking about modeling behaviors and you know, Absolutely. We have expectations for our kids. That's something that, you know, we need to hope, be holding ourselves to those same expectations. And so checking yeah. in with yourself and making sure that you're in a space that you can engage is, is so important. And if you can't recognizing that and doing what you need to do in order to come back into the present, um, you can always take a break. You can always say, I need to walk away for a minute, right? Like that's mm-hmm. great boundary setting, great modeling. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great way to ask for help, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think another piece that you can, how you can use this information is really giving your teens the opportunity to explore their own strengths, their own skills, their own values and their goals. And this can look like many different things. It can look like Mm -hmm. conversations. Um, It can look like art activities with specific directives of asking them to do different things where they're labeling their strengths or where they are talking about something that they're good at or they're finishing a comic where, you know, they have to um, put in, you know, what it is that they would do next to help the situation that the comic is starting. You know, just those simple, silly ways for them to be able to identify and talk about and um, have like these spaces where they are acknowledging these big ideas, right? And so, like I said, it could be those art activities, it could be conversations, it could be social emotional games of like asking each other questions, or it could even just be like silly, would you rather questions where you're learning things about each other. (laughs) But at the same time, there's, there's so much more to those kinds of questions because there's a decision-making process that comes along with that. And they have totally. to be able to, to dig a little bit deeper in order to figure out, well, which one would I choose and why? Um, so those are some of the things that I'm thinking about when you know we're able to give them those kinds of smaller ways of opportunities, but those small conversations or those small activities can lead to really, really big things. I think one other small piece that's really easy to implement um, is just kind of listening for the negatives. Yeah. Um, So we'll have, you know, even just little things of like, man, I really didn't do a great job on that test. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, well, how's that making you feel? is a great way to kind of segue into, but here are the strengths I see. So you don't have to just leave it or say, well, it wasn't that bad a grade, or like, I'm sure you didn't do as bad as you thought you did. It's more about, you know, how they're feeling and then helping them to identify strengths out of that. And that's so easy to just kind of work in. Maybe it's only a five or 10 second conversation, Mm -hmm. but um, can go a long way into identifying those strengths and skills. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thinking of a couple of other ways too, you know, we talked about this and, you know, the giving them the different opportunities, right? But also providing them a variety of activities to engage in. So that gives them a diverse experience in terms of trying things. 
Um, that yeah. really allows them to try new things that maybe they're not good at. Like the example that you talked about from a couple of weeks ago in the space where mm-hmm. one of our kids was trying to figure out how to do a sewing thing and he wasn't sure how, but you know, he reached out for help, but otherwise I don't know that he would have had that opportunity to try doing, try to do this thing and see if he could build this new skill set. Um, if we didn't have that available to him. So, um, so those kinds of things can be really powerful and just like giving them the opportunity, whether they engage in it or not. Um, yes. Why. Um, and I, and I think too, that is a really good, um, ways for us to help them to set attainable goals for themselves and giving them the, um, the idea of what that can look like in the support if they were to experience some failure in that. Exactly. I think um, just trying new things is always both skill building and an opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. And that's a very wide spectrum. I think um, centers like ours afford parents and educators that kind of space and opportunity that maybe they can't provide. Um, or, you know, as a parent myself, I'm like, I don't want you to make slime and paint in my house (laughs) but like in a space like ours it's really appropriate and there's support there to kind of do that um but you know taking your kids to a museum or you know other spaces along the way not just in these you know 10 to 18 years but in those younger years as well I mean you can't really um start too early with kind of the navigation of what failure looks like and trying new things looks like and learning, just learning for learning's sake. Um, So I think really just getting out there and doing stuff and it doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have to buy stuff to try new things. I mean, um, and one of the beautiful things is that if if it's new to your child, it might be new to you too. And you get to learn and grow together. Um, and even in a professional setting, like if you are a teacher and you're kind of learning along with your students, that goes back to modeling too. And it's really um, transformative in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so um, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, um, you know, we hope that you can use some of these as a guide to move forward with your youth and whatever that looks like for you. Um, but we want to spend some time giving you our contact information and what you can look out for us in terms of, you know, did you like our content today? How can we um, provide content for you that could be helpful? Um, What are some resources that you're looking for that maybe we have access to that we just don't know that you need? Um, And so we just want to take some time to talk about that and, you know, for, for more information about the work that we do at BTO, Um, you can visit our website at brooklineteenoutreach.org. All of this information will be uh, linked in our show notes. So you can always just go and check that information out. Um, But again, if you want us to cover a more specific topic um, about our work with our teens, you can email us um, at info at brooklineteenoutreach.org. Again, that will be linked in our show notes. Um, So... um, We are, um, so if you're looking for um, more resources in terms of, you know, providing things for your youth, we do provide research and, um, you know, that research-based information for parents, um, for teachers, for counselors, for after-school providers, school administrators, you name it, 
we probably do it. Um, <laughs> and um, we are able to provide that information in regards to teen mental health and their development and what that looks like for the different spaces um, that they're in. Um, and we can also talk about some of the consulting pieces that we provide as well. So we are um, at BTO, we also engage in some consulting work for other organizations um, who work with this population and are looking to improve, improve upon their programs. Um, so this is specifically more so for school settings, school districts, after school programs, other organizations that involve youth. Um, can be any age, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be ages 10 through 18 either. Um, but we offer a variety of packages um, that offer um, information that include our program philosophy, different program evaluation and analysis, staff trainings and development, um, and then different um, packages in terms of activities or you know just some of the different things that we've been talking a lot about today in terms of what we do at BTO. Um, Kate, I'm not sure if you have anything else that you want to add there to that piece because I know that that's super important for us too. So I'll leave it open for you to do that. I think the only other piece to add is that we also offer a lot of resources for individuals, both parents and providers. Mm -hmm. um, so we're working on building kind of uh, key content yeah. focus and packages mm -hmm. where, you know, as we're talking about things throughout um, episodes this season, we will have uh, resource kits available for purchase that kind of gives you a deeper dive into yeah. all of the information we're talking about, um, lesson plans or, you know, ways to implement the content that we're talking about, the research behind it, um, kind of the bigger picture behind everything else. Um, so that's also an option that's available. If you're not in the school setting or you know an organization, there are focused resources for you as well. Yeah, and those are things that you would be able to use really anywhere, you know, at home, yeah. <laughs> um, whatever that looks like. But um, yeah, those are not specific to you know, school settings or after school program settings. It can really be for anywhere, especially if you're trying to just use these tools to have a conversation with your kid um, and get to know them and help them get to know themselves too. Yeah. Um, so uh, please, please, please check out our socials for uh, resources, tips, tricks, ways to engage and just different contact information. Uh, you can find us on all major social media at uh, brooklineteenoutreach.org. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, we have started a Pinterest account and we will be, we are putting together a Teachers Pay Teachers account in addition to our Patreon. So please, please, please subscribe to our Patreon. Um, it is super helpful. If you're looking to donate, you can do so through our website or through our Patreon. Um, we really appreciate anything that you can offer um, because we think that the work that we do is really special and we wanna help others do some special work too. So yeah, uh, that looks like that is it for us today. So thanks so much for tuning in and we look forward to hearing you back, hearing from you guys and uh, talking to you guys next week. <laughs>